The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. So I live in a pretty small apartment, and I don't have a single space left on my wall to hang anything. And yet, for some reason, I still find myself sometimes going to Home Goods just to see what they have. Anybody else do that? Or Target? And one of the things that I've noticed, something that's become kind of popular recently, is signs like these in this house. Some kind of house rules, or sometimes it says in this family. Has anybody else seen these signs? This one is a pretty typical one. It says, in this house, we are real. We make mistakes. We say, I'm sorry. We give second chances. We have fun. We give hugs. We forgive. We do really loud. We are patient. We love. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to, like, slip off my shoes and find a blanket and get a cup of tea in that house, right? Doesn't that make you feel at home? It does for me. If I walked into this house and I saw this on the wall, I would breathe a big sigh of relief because this feels like me. I'd know that I was welcome. What about this house? A Star Wars house. I told you these signs have gotten popular. Well, they have spawned all kinds of parodies. In this house, we use the force. There is no try. We are scruffy-looking nerf herders who find your lack of faith disturbing. We know that's no moon, and these aren't the droids you're looking for. Laugh it up, fuzzball. You are no dead. We say, I love you, and I know. And I am your father, because in this house, we do Star Wars. Now, how many of you got every single line and every single joke and every single reference on that sign? So a couple of you, right? How many of you didn't? Yeah, me too. You know what's funny? For those of you who raised your hand at first, who knew every single tone of inflection of how these lines were delivered in the movie, if you walked into this house, I bet you'd feel an even greater and deeper sense of belonging, right? Ah, these are my people. If I walked into that house, I might go, wow, these folks really like Star Wars. (laughs) I might appreciate that it seems like they don't take themselves too seriously, right? It's not so much that I would feel apart from them. But isn't it fascinating how the very same sign can make some of us feel an even deeper sense of belonging? But for some of us, it would be the opposite. When we enter a space or a room or a group or a community that doesn't feel 100% like it's for us, how do we respond What do we do with that feeling, that tension between the little we's, the smaller communities in our big human family? I think that that's one of the things at the core of what we're exploring in our current message series this fall. Me and we, us and them. Where we're exploring what it means to try to stay connected in a world that can feel very divided, especially these days when we find ourselves in a space that doesn't feel quite like our own, when we feel that discomfort, do we belong here or not? How do each of us respond 
to that uncertain and maybe uncomfortable feeling. Last week, Carol Breslin, our Youth Spirit Director, and I went to a one-day conference. It was part of this thing called the Orange Tour. The Orange Tour is run by uh, a Christian organization that doesn't match every value of Unitarian Universalism for sure, but they do a lot of workshops and teaching around kids' ministry and youth ministry that's really valuable. And a couple other Unitarian Universalists had gone to these conferences, so Carol and I decided to try it out. And it was really all about how we see the kids and the teens in our congregation. The theme for the conference was, it's personal, right? How do we personally let young people know that they don't matter just to their parents or their grandparents, but they matter to the whole community that's here? And as we were getting started with the day, one of the speakers talking to all the adults, the church staff, the volunteers in the room said, we're here to talk about kids and teens, but you need this too, and I need this too. He was talking about our world today and especially how social media has changed things. Not all good or all bad, but how one very important thing has changed, which is that it's possible now for any of us to be seen by everybody all at once. And we are so tempted to do that because we all want to be seen. He said, nobody needs to be seen by everybody. But everybody needs someone who sees them. Nobody needs to be seen by everybody. That gets complicated, right? But everybody needs someone who sees them. That tends to matter the most in the places where we feel different. The places where we might be the only one in the room, or the only one we know about. If we are the only man or the only woman in the room, if we are the only non-binary person in the room, if we are the oldest or the youngest, the only white person or immigrant, the only one wearing a disability on the outside, the only one who is open about being in recovery, we can have this odd experience of feeling very visible, very kind of, you know, out there, but also invisible at the same time. Not necessarily wanting to be singled out for what's different, but wanting to be seen for who we are. I'll share a story of a time I realized how easy it was, despite my good intentions, to miss this completely. Eight or nine years ago, I went to another conference, the National Conference for Unitarian Universalists, and I went to a workshop that was all about diversity and inclusion, how to make our congregations more diverse and be more welcoming. And I was there in the room sitting next to two of my good friends, my friend Kenny, who is black, my friend Elizabeth, who is Vietnamese American. A man got up to ask a question to the panel of speakers that was in front of us. And in asking his question, he cut frustrated, you know, out of this deep desire he had to have our churches be more welcoming and inclusive. And he said, I mean, look at us. What's wrong with us? Everyone here is white. And there I was, nodding along with my serious face, right? Yes, it's such a shame. We need to work on this. Until I turned to my left, and I saw Kenny and Elizabeth sitting right there. Kenny and Elizabeth, who had caught each other's eye and were shaking their heads. Kind of this nonverbal, what are we, chopped liver? Oh, everyone here is white. Does anyone even see us? As if they were saying, maybe we aren't a part of the us. 
that they're talking about. Another UU minister who's a friend of mine, the Reverend Marisol Caballero, she calls this the Band-Aid problem. She says a flesh-tone Band-Aid, right? If you buy that in the store, it's usually light tan. Think about that, right? A flesh-toned Band-Aid is usually light tan. That's obvious for everyone to see right out there and visible, yet it's totally invisible to the folks whose flesh is also light tan. In plain sight, and invisible at the same time. And she says, now will a Band-Aid still work if it doesn't match the tone of your skin? Of course it will. But it's this little slight that says, we weren't thinking of you when we made this. When we think of us, you're not who we think of. A small thing by itself, but a big thing over a lifetime. A harder thing to manage when what all of us fundamentally really wants and needs is just to be seen and known for who we are. The more that we grow, the more experiences we have in this life, we realize that there are so many different ways and places that we can belong. And sometimes finding those specific places, the ones that see our particular selves the ones that celebrate who we are, especially in a world where we are not often recognized with joy, those communities can be life-saving. Look at these two signs, maybe, for an example of what I mean. These are also signs that you can buy to put on your house walls. On the left, it says, in this house, we are a family. We have faith in Allah. We follow Muhammad. We hold strong to Salat. What do we know about the people who live in this house? They're Muslim. On the other side, it says, In this house, we stim, we do routine, we sensory diet, we love lining up things. What do we know about the people who live in this house? Yeah, neuroatypical, on the autism spectrum, someone in this house probably has an autism spectrum disorder. Now, I would guess, based on what I know about the people who usually come here on Sunday, that most of us in this room would not walk into a house with these signs and feel that deeper sense of being seen or belong. But I also know that for a few of us in this community, and I'm sure for more in our wider community here in Chester County, walking into one of these houses might bring a huge sigh of relief, a lack of a need to explain or answer questions, a sense of being profoundly and scarcely, unfortunately, in our world at home. Now, I don't say any of this to make us question whether we're doing the right things or not or saying the right things or not. I'm not trying to call anybody out or in, as Reverend Ken talked about last week. I share this to help us all connect with that feeling of what it might be like to be on the inside of an us, a rarely seen or important us, and also what it feels like to be on the outside of an us. It's real, right? It brings up some strong emotions. The things that make us feel at home or not, they can go all the way from profoundly alienating on the one hand 
to feeling like a rushing river that quenches our thirst, on the other hand. And yet beneath all of those experiences is some common thread. The reason we all have such strong reactions, it's because we all have that common need to connect. I've always thought personally of our differences in this world as like a particular kind of metaphor, like the one behind me. As if all of these smaller we's in our world are like pieces of a puzzle. Or maybe each of us is like pieces of a puzzle. I've always liked the idea of God as a puzzle maker. Seems kind of lovely, like he's at play somehow. It's not the worst idea of God I've ever heard of. But it seems to fit our experience. Maybe we're all pieces of a larger puzzle. Maybe that's why there's some deep thing in all of us that always seems to call us toward linking up. Like we know somehow that there is a bigger picture. It's just asking to be assembled into a whole. The urge in us to do this, it predates our scriptures and our ancient wisdom stories. They, those stories are never about, you know, do we have this urge to connect and to relate and to attach to each other? They're always about the complicated why and the how. It would seem at the end of the day that we need each other. As if all of us were made for that great universalist promise that we talk about here, that no one is expendable and that all of us need all of us. This puzzle is pretty boring if everybody's purple. And it's also not a great puzzle if everybody's just their own unique special speck of color, right? Their own uh, unmatched fingerprint. Then it just looks like static. Maybe the ways that we overlap and differ in these fascinating patterns where nobody's ultimately terminally unique, all alone in their specialness, maybe that's really a gift. If we allow space for each other's differences without having to be part of every single small we, maybe the big picture becomes clearer for everybody. In March of this year, we lost this man, Jean Vanier. He was a French-Canadian philosopher and humanitarian, but he also was known for the community that he started in 1964, L'Arche, an international network of communities in 37 countries where people with and without intellectual disabilities lived as peers together. The name that they chose, L'Arche, it means the Ark in French. The ark calls to mind a story that many of us knew from our childhood, right? Noah and the ark. There's a song. I don't know it. I didn't grow up in church, but I know there are many songs probably. That story of the animals coming onto the boat two by two. That story of a flood and something that humans had to build to save us. It's not just in the Jewish Torah and the Christian Old Testament. That story of a flood is in Muslim texts and Hindu texts and other ancient wisdom stories This idea that all different beings find safety together when we create a community where everyone shows up. I saw a stand-up comedy routine once that talked about uh, what we teach our kids, right? What, What our preschool curriculum is like. He was saying, you know, okay, what should we teach kids when they show up at school? Numbers? Yeah, that makes sense. We're going to need that. Check. Letters, the alphabet? Sure. Um, how about what a duck says? 
You're going to need that two or three times a day, right, in adult life? Yeah. I have no idea why we emphasize animals and sound so much, but maybe there is a deeper meaning to the fact that this is one of these first ancient stories that we teach our children. Numbering our differences in detail. Not alone, but two by two. Celebrating that specificity. Maybe recognizing that how different we are is what makes the idea that all are welcome here so powerful. Especially in our modern American adult world, a world where we know where what we are so frustrated by these days is that idea that liberty and justice for all we know has not meant for all and still doesn't for some of us. Where our founding documents say all men are created equal. Where just a few paragraphs later they go on to cut out precisely two-fifths of the humanity for people of color. Our specificity has always mattered to someone. And I think it matters even more right now because for some reason we are still out here trying to put that puzzle together. And to do that we have to rebuild some trust. A lot of people have been left off of the boat. Maybe the holiest project is the one that Jean Vanier was working on. To bring everybody on board. Because even though we might find that inconvenient or uncomfortable sometimes, we might also know that it can be the difference between living and drowning. Over the course of his life, what Jean Vanier learned in this community, living with people who had intellectual disabilities and people who didn't, out of that particular we, he came up with ten rules for life. Ten rules for life that sound actually a lot like something we might even have on our wall here at Wellsprings. Accept the reality of your body. Talk about your emotions and difficulties. Don't be afraid of not being successful. Take the time to ask, how are you? Be present. Ask people, what is your story? And be aware of our own. Stop prejudice, meet people, listen to our deepest desires. And just as we will do here at Wellsprings next week in our remembrance service, remember that we'll die one day. We can use all of these rules to help guide how we live in the meantime. I bet that many of us can say that some of these rules for life are part of how we try to live now. I know that I can say that. But I can also tell you I certainly wasn't born knowing that all of these things mattered. I didn't learn all of these things from my family, from my suburban community just down the road. Many of these rules have only become real to me because I have met and known and loved people who are quite different than I am. So when we look around and we define our we in any of the communities that we're a part of. May we remember to ask, who are we not seeing? Do we know who we mean when we say the word we? As the poet Marge Piercy asks, even more importantly, can we make it a practice to know who we mean when we say we and each day to mean one more?
I think we can start by connecting with that feeling that we know of walking into a room and experiencing what it feels like to not see ourselves in someone else's definition of us. That feeling can alienate us or it can make us curious. It can help us cultivate compassion and a desire to learn someone else's story. And through all the discomfort we might feel, maybe it also gives us a chance to rest in the faith that we share here. That no matter what the signs around us say, we can always come home to a deeper belonging. In the power of a love that holds us and is here for all of us. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to join me now in the spirit of prayer. God of our hearts, holy presence in our lives that is somehow all around us and yet particular and specific. That sense of awe that each of us sees in a particular face or a particular location when the sky looks a particular way. May we remember in the moments when that sense of presence and love feels far from us. May we try to find a way to trust that if we believe it's here for someone else, that it's here for us too. And when it feels so real for us and we see someone who might not be included or is on the outside of a we, may we connect with that feeling to remember that even when it is hard for us to love, that there might be a love that is holding someone we can't love in the moment. With gratitude for that greater love, for the prayers I've spoken and the prayers each of these people carries on their hearts, we say amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.